Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast show. And of course, I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm also the founder and leading educator of the Holistic Health Mastery Certification Course. This is by far one of the internet's, one of the world's most comprehensive, in-depth, and in my opinion, well-organized integrative nutrition and health courses that you'll ever find. Definitely that I've ever found, and I've scoured the internet um, for the best of the best, which is actually what led me to creating this course two years ago in the first place. And by the feedback that we've gotten over the last two years and the continuous feedback that I keep getting almost every single day from our students all over the world, um, I feel strongly and can easily stand behind those words. So you can find more information about that at holistichealthmastery.com. So getting into our episode for today, wow, 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 um, geez, like that's the best way to, for me to, to introduce it, I guess, because, you know, I bring on somebody who has been an inspiration to me over the years, and I've loved his work, Dr. John Gray, you might remember the famous book, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, literally one of the best-selling books in the world and in history. Um, really, that was an amazing fact when I found that out. But um, that classic book really set the stage for his career and his overall message in terms of relationship dynamics and the incredible work he's done in that field. And I've always been inspired by that work. And the more I've listened to Dr. John Gray, um, you know, more re- in more recent years, I just really paid attention to the focus he has on cognitive health, on emotional stability, on psychological health, and um, healthy lifestyle, and how all those things coincide together. They're not mutually dis- exclusive. They're not um, individual or independent from one another. They actually fit in together, and our relationship. As I've been saying for many years in my work as a nutrition specialist is that um, our relationships and our state of mind and our state of emotion have everything to do with our fuel, how we are fueling ourselves um, through our nutrition and how our lifestyle is organized. And I just really appreciated uh, Dr. Gray's incredible perspectives on this subject. I mean, this episode is a special 90-minute episode because this man is such a wealth of information. He's a powerhouse. I mean, he just keeps going and going. And uh, I, w- I just remember getting up really early in the morning to to be able to get on the air with him. And he really just uh, is just, just incredible. You know, he's 63 years old. I think that was the thing that was most impressive because his energy is contagious and it's full on. He's just a firecracker and he's still going. And the information that he shares in this interview is um, its second to none. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, I was highly impressed. I was honored to be a part of it, and I am excited to share it with you. So instead of um, trying to give any more of a descriptive about the episode, why don't we just jump full on into the episode with Dr. John Gray. Enjoy.
John Gray is the leading relationship expert in the world. His relationship and health books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages. His groundbreaking work, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, is the best-selling nonfiction book of all time. It launched his Mars-Venus book series that forever changed the way men and women view their relationships. John helps men and women better understand and respect their differences in both personal and professional relationships. His approach combines specific communication techniques with healthy, nutritional choices that create the brain and body chemistry for, lo- for lasting health, happiness, and romance. His many books, videos, workshops, and seminars provide practical insights to effectively manage stress and improve relationships at all stages of life and love. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be with you. Yeah, this is something I've been looking forward to uh, for quite some time, and we definitely have a lot to dive into. Um, you know, I wanna I wanna mention this too. This is this is. Kind of a staggering statement here. Your book, your original book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, is the best-selling nonfiction book of all time. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah, in hardback. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. <laughs> it was. It was uh, mainly, I mean, it continues to sell um, – in the United States, around 200,000 copies uh, a year, which any bestseller actually only sells that as well, but it, they tend to do it in a week period or a three-week period. But it, during the 90s is when USA Today reported number one bestseller of all all books, not just hardback books, but it stayed almost five years on the New York Times list number one while it was in hardback. So it's done amazing. I mean, it, but see, I travel around the world. It's still selling a million a year in China and Russia. I go, I go to Russia, I speak to 10,000 people at a time. You know, people are still hungry for this information. So many people in America already have it. <laughs> but And you can buy so many used versions, by the way, for a penny, <laughs> for a dollar. You can get get it booked out. So it's it's definitely saturated our, our, our uh, culture. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a um, it's such a foundation, you know, in the field of relationships, sacred relationships. One might even say towards the realm of sacred sexuality, and like really, what's what's more common you see nowadays. Whereas when you put the book out, <clears throat> it wasn't as you didn't see this kind of thing as much. Now it's it's not really taboo. These 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 conversations around different dynamics around the masculine and feminine. And I would love to hear from you. What do you after all these after all these years? What do you attribute the success of the book to? Well, uh, you know, it's a good book. It also has a good title, but it actually was a bestseller for many many years in Germany. Number one. And the title was uh, Men and Women Are Different. So it's a good title, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I have to say, I took three years to come up with that. I mean, I was so frustrated. And so I got to find, this is back in 1982, I, I got to find a, a fun way to talk about this. Because at the time, uh, you know, in the early, in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was uh, men's movements and women's movements, but you couldn't put them in the same room at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I took on because as a marriage counselor, you've got to bring men and women together. And I had to find a way to 
explore our differences in such a positive way because the feminist movement, while it had many good qualities, the bad qualities of it were that it basically made men wrong and wanted to feminize men. Right. And, uh, and I saw that that just didn't work for relationships. You know, I'm a hands-on, in the office, nine, eight hours a day, listen, listening to women, you know, talk about their marriages and complain about men. And it actually helped my marriage tremendously. I've been married 30 years, and it helped my marriage because I realized if I left my wife, uh, I'd be with one of these women. <laughs> They're all the same on one level. Uh, so you've got to learn how to solve those problems and so, so that you don't have all this tension and resentment and misunderstanding. And so I just set forth with the basic premise that basically women are wonderful and men are wonderful, and let's see how we can come back, come together. And it wasn't just a, a fleeting thought or an attitude. That was my attitude as opposed to seeing what's wrong with men, what's wrong with women, which is often what people think when they have relationships end and so forth. But it's, it's my foundation for developing the ideas of Men from Mars was very, very unique in that I wasn't so much indoctrinated with what they were teaching in the feminist psychology classes. Uh, I had spent nine years before all that um, as a celibate monk and not in relationships, but actually finding my spiritual fulfillment. And that was a huge drive in my life. Of course, it still is. You know, I, I, the spirituality is the foundation of everything I talk about. Because the essence of spirituality is love. And, and so I had learned through my meditation to find this source inside of me, which was always fulfilled. I mean, I'm a really happy guy. But what happened after nine years is I couldn't stay happy uh, in one part of me because my brother was bipolar. And I, I had to go and help him. And meditation didn't do it. Yoga didn't do it. Uh, so I went to study psychology and, and got a Ph.D. in psychology and taught courses on on psychology because I had a really good gift for it. And part of it is that I was approaching men and women uh, from a place of unconditional love, which means a non-judgmental awareness. When you, you know, things can be right or wrong, but you, you, you rise above that and you go, regardless of what you think is right, what you think is wrong, what works, what doesn't work? You know, I just teach women, what's going to work to bring out the best in this man? And men, what's going to work to bring out the best in women? And what I saw is, so much of the 70s and 80s and still now in psychology classes, there's this leaning towards feminizing men. And I go, that doesn't work. And we, we already have men, you know, which we'll get into today. I hope we'll talk about health and wellness and the mm-hmm. crisis for men of low testosterone, which is happening. And, uh, you know, there's a direct correlation between our, our libido, our aliveness, our interest in monogamy, our ability to keep passion alive with our testosterone levels, as well as our health. You know, men get heart attacks when their testosterone levels drop. They get prostate cancer when their testosterone levels drop. So many things about that, that we're going through this crisis and our relationships can be this huge testosterone booster by helping men be more masculine and helping women be more feminine. Because what's happening as women are going way to their masculine side, it has a sort of a rebound effect, whereas men go, okay, well, I'll go to my female. Because see, what pulls out the masculine is a sense of, I got to do this, nobody else is. Whenever you feel like it's up to you, and I got to do this and nobody else is, that's masculinity. And you can measure it actually in the body because as soon as you're in a situation where it's up to me and nobody's going to do it for me, uh, then your testosterone levels rise. And today, men's testosterone levels are just drooping. Uh, it's just, it's not healthy for us. You know, I'm 64 now. My testosterone levels are the same as when I was in the first time I had them checked, which is in my early 30s. 
uh, hadn't checked it before then, but I know what it takes to keep your testosterone levels up. And your average man at 40, it's already dropping significantly. And by 50, it's half of what it was as a younger man. And this is not good for our health. It's not good for our relationships. It's not good for our well-being. It's not good for our self-esteem. Uh, low testosterone causes men to become moody, irritable, grumpy, uh, inflexible, unloving. And then they have to keep finding new relationships to feel stimulated. So I'm really big on helping men be more masculine, and that doesn't, because see, from my perspective, masculine is not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as women started becoming more independent, they don't need men as much for financial security. They don't need men as much for, uh, for safety in the outer world, so to speak. They can take care of themselves. So what does a man have to do? You know, and a long time ago, not that long ago, a man felt like, oh, man, I got to get up and get out there and make money to support my wife and my children. And if I don't do it, nobody else will. And, and, and that, that pressure is beneficial if men are taught how to do it and, and deal with this. They, they need training. They need education and so forth. And they build confidence. But pressure without confidence causes stress. But pressure with confidence uh, is what pulls, you know, it's what you're doing right now. You know, we're doing a show. It's, it's pressure. You got to do it right. You don't want to make mistakes. And that raises your testosterone and you feel great because you're good at what you do. But when you don't have that pressure in overall life, you know, men are just becoming way more feminine, which on one level is really good. It's like we're saying, hey, I don't want to like, uh, just do some job I'm not fulfilled in. I want to find a job which is fulfilling. That's the more conscious man. You know, he says, I'll still work hard. But I want my work to be something that's personally fulfilling for me, and as opposed to you know the, the 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 man working in a coal mine. There's nothing fulfilling about working in a coal mine, except that when you come home, you bring home the bacon. Your wife's happy to see you, and you feel like you're a hero because you're doing what they can't do for themselves. But men don't have that anymore. So we're we're kind of a blend of masculine and feminine. But the challenge for us. Is to stay over in the masculine side. And that's what I did with my Mars Venus material. Nobody was doing that. They were feminizing men, telling men to be like women. And, 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 you know, part of it is that you have to realize that psychology comes, a lot of it comes from guys just, men and women just thinking how the world should be, mm -hmm. uh, which is fantasy. Then the other side of it is good therapists who are down in the, you know, the trenches, so to speak, helping people. 90% of the people who come to counseling are women. So the techniques you develop to help people like that work for women. They don't work for men. So I came along and said, uh, hey, guess what? The emperor has no clothes. Men and women really are different. We need to respect those differences. We need to honor those differences and, and honor each other. So the answer is love, but it's not like we're all going to blend in to become the same. That's a huge mistake, and still people are making it. But I think my message is out there, and it's kind of like common. It's almost a cliche now, but this was an original idea back in the 70s, 80s, which was, you know, we are, we are uh, different. Uh, we can have equal respect. We can have equality and also respect our differences. Mm -hmm. And it just needed to be articulated more clearly. It's not really that much of an original idea. If you look at what a university is, look at the word mm -hmm. university, diversity, unity in diversity. That's what we're all trying to achieve. 
but it gets blurred over with this whole uh, male-female thing where nobody wants to look at the fact that we are very, very different biologically. And that doesn't mean I don't have feminine qualities. I have compassion, I have empathy, I have sensitivity, I have emotions and so forth. But I process it completely differently and I need to if I'm going to keep my testosterone up and vice versa for women. They're shutting down to their femininity, and the symptom of that is so much. One out of four women today are on antidepressants. That's like, what is going on? That means they're really unhappy. Imagine a guy coming home trying to feel like he's successful in making her happy, and she's on an antidepressant. How can that work? He'll become depressed just living with her, and that's really, really hard for him, and it's hard for her, too. Why is she so depressed? Well, feminists would say, oh, well, the, the work world is all male-oriented, and there's certain truth to that, which is the work world's not against women, but it's the work world. It's male-oriented. It's testosterone-producing. It's called put your personal needs behind you, go out there and serve the public, get something done, make decisions, take risks, work for money, make sacrifices, be kind to people you don't even want to know, but be nice. You know, All that stuff you do in the workplace is putting your personal stuff to the side, which men are great at if they can be trained at that. But because it stimulates testosterone. But for women, when testosterone goes up, estrogen goes down, they lose their ability to get pregnant, they lose their ability to be happy, uh, their hormones go out of balance, their stress levels soar, uh, it depletes them of serotonin, and now they're, they're depressed. And this is what's happening today. And we got to look at the problem from the side of psychology, but now the last 15 years, my main focus has been supporting the psychological principles I developed so many years ago with the nutritional principles. Because the environmental toxicity and the depletion of minerals in our soil, the, the lack of nutrition in our food, the GMOs, this is just wiping out people's gut, wiping out their brain, wiping out their ability to maintain positive mood, to feel energetic. we got all these people gaining weight. So easy to get back to your normal weight. Weight is normal. And yet in our country, everybody's overweight or they're underweight or they're addicted to drugs. All these imbalances are happening all around us. And there are such basic solutions for it. And that's why I'm excited to be on your show, because you combine psychology with nutrition. you got to be holistic. It doesn't work just one piece of the pie. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm so excited about everything you shared, because what you're doing, what everything you just shared is laying the groundwork for where we're going to go. You just laid the complete trajectory for everything that we're going to go into and we are absolutely going to go into the hormonal differences between men and women. And we are going to go into the neurological and cognitive health because I know that's a huge area that you focus on and I focus on. Those two areas in particular are actually some of my primary focuses. So that's going to be a really, um, a really great area to go into. Um, before we do, though... I have to I have to bring this up and, and see uh, see what your perspective on it is. Now you've already kind of touched on this, but I want to maybe come at it from a different angle. Um, did you have you seen a documentary called Misrepresentation? No. Okay, so my friend uh, Layla, um, she's my roommate. And she's you know like this world famous uh, photographer and also um, human rights activist. And she told me, "Look, you got to watch this movie." And it's basically what it is: is it's it's about how women mainly are misrepresented in our culture. And it doesn't come from a strong feminist perspective. It actually just lets you know like exactly what's going on and how. 
this this image of women, the feminine, is actually damaging both women and also damaging men, and and how it's disturbing our you know our uh, our brain development and just our perspective on you know what a woman is. So. I would love to just kind of dive into, you know, maybe what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, the fundamental dynamics of the masculine and feminine archetype. <clears throat> Again, you kind of touched on this before, but I want to go into this direction of that. Culturally, we have been sold a program um, from many different areas of what the man and female archetype or the masculine feminine archetype is. And, um, you know, it's hard to, for me to formulate an exact question, but um, if you kind of get catch my drift, I'd like to dive a little deeper into that. Well, I'm happy to talk about that subject. I don't know what the movie's about. I got a t- taste of it just now. But let me, let me give you some of my insight on this because, of course, I've been dealing with this 35 years of my life. That's the whole basic major fo- focus of my work. And uh, – probably have talked, given more talks on this subject than any person in the history of mankind and to more people, you know, all around the world. Millions and millions of people I've talked to and, and get responses from signing books and what do they think and what do they hear. That doesn't mean everybody loves my ideas. I'm always surprised at people who don't. But clearly, <laughs> clearly I'm a controversial figure for some people. Uh, but I've certainly touched the lives of so many. And so when we, we come to... When we come to uh, one of the concepts, it's a bit extreme that I completely disagree with, which I feel is uh, completely misrepresenting both men and women, is the idea that gender is a social construct. Mm. Okay, so this is the, the current sort of war cry of feminists, which is that gender it doesn't exist and that it is a social construct. It's a bunch of ideas society has said that, well, you're a guy, and you're, if you have a penis, you're this, and if you don't, you're that, and you should do this, and you should do that. Now, where I completely agree, our, our meeting point is I completely see that gender, that is the male and female, is, is uh, gender rules are created by society. They are a social construct. You know, ideas like women should stay home and be with the children. Mm-hmm. The idea is that women cannot be effective in the workplace. The idea that women cannot fly, fly a fighter plane. Uh, the idea that women are not good at mathematics. Uh, the idea that men don't make good mothers, uh, primary parents, nurturers. Uh, the idea that, you know, men don't care about relationships. The idea that men don't make... Uh, don't can't make emotional commitment and that they're always going to cheat on you. Uh, the idea that men are, 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 are cheaters more than women. These are all social constructs. Okay. These, these are limitations. And if we want to look at the, they were actually created by people's experience at a time, which is not now. It was a time where Society supported men to be more masculine, and society supported women to be more feminine. So simply put, if you go to the Amazon and or Africa or villages in India or villages in China, been to all those places, what you'll see is these very traditional values where there was a, there's a social rule that men should be a certain way, Women should be a certain way. So let me take one of those areas, a trip I made to the Ashwar Indians in, uh, in Ecuador. 
South America. So I take a private plane. It lands on a dirt runway in the middle of the Amazon. I go several hours in a canoe. I get on a trail that goes five hours through the jungle to get to a village. Okay, so this is a really, they don't speak English. You don't see white people there. You know, this is very, very primitive place. There's no radios, nothing. And so you look at how do people live. You'll see how people have lived on this planet for the longest time. And that is the women take care of the children. The women garden. The women are not allowed in the forest not because they want to go into the forest, but because the forest is dangerous. Men go into the forest. Men go to hunt in the forest. Men die in the forest from snake bites. That's the dangerous work. Also, villages can be attacked. Uh, basically, the, the, you know, when one of the villages I went to, the, the chief showed me seven shrunken heads. And, and I said, well, what's that about? And they said, that when they have a child, they have to go to a neighboring village and kill somebody because they know that the forest can only sustain enough food for the people they have. So that's their way of being sustainable. Now, they've sort of reformed from that, uh, so I felt very safe. But And also, I wasn't someone who's going to take away the food in their forest. But, you know, these are like primitive situations, but this is where culture came from. Men and women have specific roles that would allow them to survive as a partnership. Today, what's different is men and women are no longer looking to have specific roles to survive. We're not living in a level of survival. When you rise up out of the level of survival and security, you get to a level of personal achievement and intimacy, which you can combine that into personal fulfillment. So men and women are coming together today in intimacy for personal fulfillment, not to survive. So once we left that level of survival, then suddenly we are free to access all the parts of who we are because culture constrained men to be the, the bread maker, to do the difficult jobs, to go into the jungle, to survive the cold and the heat, to do the tough stuff, to do the dangerous stuff. And women were basically protected because they took care of the children and they did the jobs that were safe and, 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 and never pressured, not dangerous. So those are our two worlds. And so that culture uh, supported men in being that and supported women in being the other more nurturing. So let's say you're out there standing guard. You're going to have to kill somebody. You can't be this nurturing guy who cares about people's feelings and family if you're going to kill somebody. So you've got to have faster reaction time, the high testosterone that all men have today, at least 10 times more than all women uh, your man will have uh, if he's somewhat healthy. And, and, of course, when it drops below that, he becomes very unhealthy. Women are supposed to have at least 10, uh, 10 times more estrogen than your average man. And when that drops, uh, they become very unhappy uh, and, and unhealthy. Uh, and, and even when women do have uh, um, what's called uh, estrogen dominance, they still would have low estrogen, but just they have more estrogen than progesterone, so they have an imbalance there. Uh, and that causes big problems for women. So our hormones are very, very important. We have to respect that. And when women are becoming too masculine, doing behaviors that stimulate testosterone, it does lower their estrogen. It does raise their stress. This is tests have shown this that women in the workplace have 
have stress levels twice as high as men's on average. And when they return home, their stress levels tend to be four times higher uh, than your average man. And so what's happening there is, you know, this is women adjusting themselves to this modern world. They haven't figured it out yet. That's why I have my message, which is you as a woman can be in a very testosterone job, but you have to make sure you're balancing it by anticipating a very estrogen-oriented relationship when you get home. So instinctively, women have got this right. They just don't know how to make it happen. Uh, they wait for men to make it happen. Women do have a greater need for romance, at least in the first six years of a relationship, until they give up. Uh, that, that romance, the anticipation of being in love, the anticipation of affection and warmth and intimacy and romance... Uh, is a major, major estrogen and oxytocin producer, the two hormones that are essential for women to regulate stress. And if a woman doesn't have that high stimulation of romance and good communication, that's another one. If you go to the offshore Indians, the women could care less about talking to men. They don't complain, gee, we have communication problems. <laughs> they have a, it's not even thought of. And, and they, they, they don't mind the fact that men, when they come home from their work in the forest, the men just sit around and drink. That's what they do. The women even provide. The women, you divide the tent, the big, big house that they all come and meet. It's a big, big roof. And they're all there. It's split in half. And women are on one side behind a wall. And men can't go there. But women can go into the man's place uh, to serve alcohol. And so they go in there. And the alcohol they serve is actually something called chicha, which women dig up these roots and chew it up and then spit it into a bowl and put it over a fire as it starts to ferment. And then it uh, eventually it ferments. And they serve it to the men as like a, like a beer. Uh, tastes terrible. But that's what women do. I mean, they just want to keep the men sedated, basically. They do their job. Women are in their world, and at night they will do their sexual thing out in the jungle. There's a little activity like that if they're with a man, and so they don't they feel safe. Wow, that's really, really an incredible explanation. Um, you know, there, there's a number of things that come up for me, but um, I will bypass those for the moment, and... I would like, I want to go deeper into the hormonal um, differences between men and women and how this influences how we all show up in the world because that's, that's a huge cornerstone of my work as a nutrition specialist is the hormone picture. I mean, I just gave a four hour lecture the other day here in Kauai um, on hormones and, and tonic herbalism. And we, you know, it's like, Pretty much my whole focus hormonally is, um, you know, with the environmental xenoestrogens, with um, liver congestion, the inability to methylate, um, and then the aromatization, the conversion of our quote-unquote good hormones into like steroidal, um, you know, estrogens essentially. So, um, I'm, yeah, let's, let's like, let's really kind of like dive into that and just go in any direction you, you feel inspired to share about the hormonal differences and how we can start adjusting our life to, to come back into balance with one another. I, I'm happy to move into that area. I just, you know, I'm, I want to, Take a few more minutes with the misrepresentation of women. Oh, please, absolutely. Uh, Here's some more details on that. You know, there's a, you know, you hear in, in the political speeches all the time about the pay gap between men and women. Mm. 
Okay, and, and so we believe what we hear on TV quite often. I certainly don't, but most people do, because they don't actually go and study the facts. When it comes to the pay gap between men and women, there is a huge pay gap in terms of the lowest paying jobs mothers will usually take out of desperation because they have to do whatever it takes to feed those babies. So there's no doubt that the lowest paying jobs are mainly populated by women. But there's absolutely no truth to the fact that when women and men do the same job and the same amount of time that men make significantly more than women. <laughs> this is nonsense. There's no study that backs that up. Mm. And just think about your own experience. You know, I, I'm a business owner, and the women make just as much as the men. And the irony is when you say women are misrepresented, uh, they were in the past. It did happen, and certainly in India, they completely are. But in America, it didn't take long for business owners to realize what amazing workers women are. And ultimately... If women really were paid half what men get, then businesses would only hire women <laughs> because you can get them for half the amount. Right. So suddenly you'd have to be putting men out of work, and we'd be talking about all the poor men who get put out of work because women are undercutting them, just like we're saying with shipping jobs out of the country. We're shipping jobs to women because we every business guy knows how amazingly competent women are. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no question about that. There was question in the 50s, you know, there was like, oh, you know, can women do these jobs? And then, then we figured out, yeah. And so women get, got lots of jobs. It's, it's, so here's this government statistics on this. When they, care, when they compare uh, same job for same amount of hours, the actual tests say same job, for the hours of 30 to 60 hours a week. And, and in that, men over 35 will be making more than women because typically men over 35 uh, will take longer, will be those in that category working 60 hours a week, and women who are mothers will typically be in the category of 30 to 40 hours a week because they're going to want to get home to their kids. And not that men don't want to get home to their kids, but if you're a married man with children, you've got a wife who's generally home with the kids. So men have that tendency to work longer hours. So that's the first thing. But then you actually look at what the statistics say besides that imbalance and what they're reporting. Even with that imbalance, it shows that women actually, if you look at one category of women who are 35 years and under who have no children compared to men who are 35 years and under, who have no children. And that's our, you know, the, the future right there. That's the people growing into based upon all the changes we've made in our consciousness here, that women make 20% more than men for the same work for the same amount of time. That's the statistics. That's the government statistics. You don't hear that because you're not going to get a crowd-raising excitement when you say, we need equality, men are getting less money than women, because nobody <laughs> sees that. Because over 35, yes, that's the group that's the old-fashioned. But if we look at what's happening in the world today at the higher, at the private universities, Harvard, Stanford, all the, the, the highly significant universities, which are harder to get into – there's an equal number of men and women going into the universities, but twice as many women graduate from the universities. So think about this. Two women to every man are now graduating from colleges. This is a huge crisis. I mean, this is big-time problem. Mm. And, you know, now we can go to some of the causes of the big-time problem. Now, one of the books I'm working on is all the different problems and the crisis of the boy crisis is what's happening to our boys. 
Not to say that girls don't have a crisis, too. I mean, girls are, you know, they're unhappy, as we've already talked. They're on antidepressants, whereas where you'll get like twice as many females on antidepressants are more, actually four or five times more. Uh, what you'll get with the ADD-type symptoms, attention deficit symptoms, learning difficulty symptoms, if you look at autism symptoms, we got one out of 50 boys in America with autistic spectrum disorder, and in California, one out of 20, and that's basically five times more than with girls. So there's something happening here to the males in our population that is not healthy at all. We have to start understanding this, that there, yes, feminism addressed a real crisis of, of, for women, where women were undervalued in the workplace, with well, no question about that. That's really not the case today. Certainly there's places where that is true, but the majority of men truly appreciate women in the workplace. Women don't always feel appreciated in the workplace. We did a survey of many questions. I, one of my books is in the workplace, and we one of the questions is, uh, are women appreciated in the workplace? And uh, 60% of women said no, uh, and 95% uh, of men said yes. Mm. So these men, and they're, from their mind, they're appreciating women, and and who's to determine if you're being appreciated? I mean, I appreciate all the women I work with. Now, whether they feel appreciated is a different story. But from the male point of view, they, they're not like thinking women are incompetent. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons why. I explore that in that book. Uh, one reason why that women don't feel valued and appreciated is they don't feel seen or heard or their efforts are not being recognized. It's, uh, you know, you can say to a man, go do this job and say, great job. Here, here, I'll pay you. And a guy will feel appreciated. You say to a woman, here's this job, go do it. And she says, okay, here's the result. You say, great job and pay her for it. She doesn't feel as appreciated as a man because she wants you to know that she had to stay up late and she had this frustration and she had this disappointment and she had to do this and then she had to go home and take care of her kids. But she still produced that result. So women have a different need in order to feel valued and appreciated. And that's something men don't know about. I call that a blind spot. And men can make the workplace a more fulfilling place for women by understanding how to more effectively communicate that you appreciate her. And women can learn to uh, more effectively interpret men's behavior and not take it so personally. You know, I mean, men are men don't complain we don't feel appreciated because men know men are not good at appreciating each other. We are competing <laughs> with each other. You know, if I tell everybody, you know, how great you are, then I may not get the job. So men, typically, the traditional male, doesn't, isn't very good at valuing and appreciating other people. That's why we're drawn to women, is that women have an enormous capacity to value and appreciate others. And, and, and so, you know, these are our recognition of a difference. Now, where would that difference come from? We'll just focus on that one. It's hormones. We'll get into hormones now, mm -hmm. which is when you have higher estrogen levels that women, uh, when they're healthy have at least 10 times, if not way more estrogen than your average healthy male. And with this higher estrogen, what it means is the psychological component of estrogen is I depend on you. I need you. I want you in my life. I depend on you. I need you. So that's it. When women have their highest estrogen levels, 
uh, which is at their time of fertility, ironically, the brain makes less serotonin to make her need you a little bit more to motivate her in order to go have sex with some guy and have a baby. You know, this is the biological, you know, imperative. We make the, the biology makes sex very fulfilling. And at certain times of the month, makes it even more fulfilling for women and puts them into a mode of being more interested in it. Just simply, you can see that as estrogen goes up, her need to be filled up in a sense, to be touched, to be seen, to be heard, to be penetrated, basically, is much greater at that time. And that has to do with estrogen. So estrogen is that feeling of dependence. I need you. I depend on you. Testosterone is just the opposite. Testosterone is I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. Look what I can do. You can see it in all little boys even. But particularly after puberty, it's like, I don't need your help. I can do it myself. See what I can do. See what I've accomplished. And women always call that, quote, the male ego as if something's wrong with it. Uh, but really, it's just normal. The female ego is, I need you. Why aren't you here? And the man's ego is, look what I've done. Look what I can accomplish. So these are not things we should judge. These are things we should <clears throat> that we should respect and appreciate. I mean, because what comes along when a woman feels her need for something, her ability to appreciate getting what she needs is much greater. I mean, imagine, you know, you're hungry. You're feeling, I need food, and somebody gives you food, you're really grateful for it. If you don't feel your need for hunger and you serve someone food, it's kind of like, okay, that's nice, tastes good, but it's not that important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I'm working really hard on a book or something, I don't really, I'm not in my, I'm really in my full testosterone mode, the estrogen's going down. I don't even feel hunger. And so my wife says, you've got to eat. And I say, okay, I'll eat. And <laughs> she'll serve me a meal. And okay, that was nice. And she's like, well, you didn't enjoy my meal. You know, it, it, it's because it's hard for her to understand because she's going to have a much greater awareness of what she needs. And when you have that awareness of what you need, then you appreciate others much, much more. You appreciate the things in life much, much more. You know, my wife's ability to be happy is, is amazing. She can be so delighted by little things. Now, when I'm over on my female side, I too can do that. That's really quite delightful. But I have to be careful as a man not to become too dependent on others for my happiness. This is what's happening in men today. They fall in love with women. Uh, they go way into their estrogen side, and she makes me so happy. And boom, the day that she doesn't make you happy because she's ignoring you or she's in a mood or she's disapproving of you, we, we men, if we're on our female side, they go ballistic. They become all emotional about it. They pout about it. They get mad about it. They complain about it. They got a list of complaints about their wife. They resent. Oh, my God, it's just awful. And I have to tell men, get back to your male side. You know, you're, you're whining and complaining. You know, get off of it. And I would never say that to a woman, you see. It's like this right. is where you've got to understand the differences. What a man needs to do is not indulge in his female when he's experiencing stress. He needs to come back to his male because it's the male hormones that lower stress for men. And these are like very important key issues is testosterone gets produced when you, when you basically back off from depending on someone for your fulfillment or for your success. You look to yourself. Now, does that mean you're an island? No, you find balance. So I, I'm responsible for my life. I'm responsible for my fulfillment. And I also have needs for love and affection and connection and my wife's wisdom and her support. These are like big things to me. And, but <clears throat> see, the reason I understand this stuff so much is that for nine years, I was a celibate monk. I didn't depend on women for anything. I ate a cup of food a day. I didn't depend on food for my happiness. I uh, basically... Um, 
I slept on the floor without a pillow. Why? Because I didn't want to have to depend on a bed for happiness. I, and when you do that, I'm not recommending that to anybody. <laughs> I'm kind of a fanatic. Uh, and now I'm kind of a fanatic moderate. But the, in those days, I was just uh, completely going to find my male side. I didn't have that knowledge of what I was doing. I just knew I, I wanted to find happiness from within. So the way you do it is you take away all sources of happiness from outside. It merges from inside if you have a spiritual practice. So, you know, I used to do my spiritual practice every year, longer and longer and longer. After about nine, eight, eight, nine years, I was doing 12 to 15 hours of meditation a day because my meditation was the source of great fulfillment. Now in my life, my work is this great source of fulfillment. Then I bring that fulfillment home to my relationship. I do not look to my wife for my fulfillment. I look to my wife for greater fulfillment. I'm the foundation of it. I know how to make myself happy. Now I share myself in service and love to my wife and I become much happier. But on days when whatever my best is not enough for her, because some days she's just not going to be in a good mood or something, you know, and she's busy worrying about something and she's not happy to see me and she doesn't need me and her estrogen levels are down, her progesterone levels are up. It's a natural cycle that women go through where they shift from feeling dependent on you to make them happy to feeling more independent and then they go back to that their hormones are always balancing they're never the same uh you know when she's in estrogen mode she's more estrogen she's going to be needing you more she has the potential to be happy with you but she also has the potential to be unhappy with you it goes both ways because if you need someone you're very happy when you get it and if you need someone and you don't get what you need then you're not that thrilled but then naturally, after fertility, her cycle shifts. Now she's going to go towards having her period. The estrogen levels start to drop, and her progesterone levels start to increase, and that's where she starts to feel more independent. And progesterone is amazing for lowering her stress levels. But let's say that uh, she's not, she didn't get what she needed when the estrogen is up, then suddenly she's going to be feeling resentful that she didn't get that, and that then inhibits her progesterone production. Uh, and then if she's out there in the world being independent, she's now in testosterone land. That adds a whole new thing to women's cycle, which is by being at work during the day, uh, doing uh, you know the types of behaviors that we talked about before that stimulate testosterone, even though women are not testosterone, they don't need as much as men, they still need testosterone, they become depleted in testosterone in the in the work world. And so they have this need to do what men do, which is to take me time. You see, women, before men are from Mars, it was a huge complaint that women had. Now, this idea has gone through the world quite a bit that men need their cave time. You know, he's in his cave. You know, well, that was a radical idea back in those days. And, and you know, basically, I, I learned that idea and then promoted it from the American Indians. Uh, there's a saying in one American tribe that I was working with and a woman I was working with her and she was, <clears throat> I was explaining that when her husband doesn't want to talk, it's good to leave him alone because anything he says when his stress levels up is he's going to be more prickly. Now, why is that? And this is still true, but hormonally so is that when men are upset, uh, emotional, then their testosterone levels have converted to estrogen through aromatase, yeah. which you talked about earlier. So that makes men grumpy and irritable and inflexible and pouting and whatever. Oh, Whenever wow. a man is doing that, you, you know, basically I said, just leave him alone. He needs to be all by himself. Do not interact with him. 
Because when men are alone and quiet, their testosterone levels go back up. Uh, talking lowers your testosterone. About uh, Talking about feelings. If you're talking to solve problems, your testosterone level is going to surge. But if you're using emotions to solve a problem, which is like when men become angry and grizzly and they're like monkeys, you know, growl, you know, they make a big scene to show dominance. Actually, what they're doing is their testosterone levels are rising and continue converting into estrogen. Yeah. And that's what anger is. Uh, when men are angry, they have to understand that they've, they're losing their masculine power by being angry. They'll never earn the respect of women, particularly, uh, because women need to feel safe. And you can't feel safe in the presence of an angry guy. Uh, it's scary. Uh, throughout history, uh, men have, uh, when men get angry, people die. So if you want to build trust, and, and that's what we're looking for in relationships today. Not looking for the trust that my partner can help me to survive. We're looking for the trust. Women are looking for the to be able to trust that I can be myself, and my partner's not going to uh, hurt me, ridicule me, minimize me, reject me, and leave me. Uh, this is the bottom line for women, and 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 it's always been the bottom line for women. Is depending on men today. Women depend on men to support women and expressing more of who they are, which means if she wants to work, you support her in working. If she doesn't want to work, you support her in not wanting to work. Or if, you, if, you, if she's happy to see you, of course, you're happy to have that. But if she's not happy, you support her in that. Support her in all of her states of being. And ultimately, each time you do that, her stress levels will go down. And what you get is this woman who appreciates and loves you even more. And men don't understand this. Once you understand the science of women then suddenly nothing women do can really upset you because you, you have the power to transform them. And this is pure masculine power, which is to know what can you do, what can't you do. And when, when you know what you can do, then you do it and you feel confident. And there's certain things you can't do. For example, if my wife's upset, I can't make her feel better. She's like the weather, you know, but what I can do is not make it worse. And that's what men tend to do is they make it worse rather than putting on an umbrella. <laughs> and they, we just don't have the skills to facilitate her and finding her power once again to find happiness. Uh, but, you know, those are some examples of how the hormones interplay with our psychology, which you don't find written anywhere. This is because as I began studying all the hormones and all the, um, the gender differences when it comes to that, I was already well-versed for 20 years in how many women think, feel, think and feel differently. So suddenly it all just fit together into a, a beautiful puzzle piece that makes sense of everything. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so many incredible nuggets of wisdom and insight. Um, really like the insightfulness that you just shared is incredible. You know, I'm a 30-year-old male, clearly, right? So... I've had my own experiences and dynamics with the opposite sex and relationships and the ups and downs that inevitably will happen in that arena. And the insights that I'm getting from you are so spot on and it's putting together some of those puzzle pieces. It's just kind of like those little aha moments of like, oh, got it. That's what's going on. Um, one one area that you mentioned that I really I took a, um, a little bit of a magnifying, or I should say I will be putting more of a magnifying glass on. Now, obviously, I already brought it up about like the aromatization, that hormone conversion process, but more my perspective was more focused on 
you know, the environmental toxicity factor. And also like when our cortisol raises and our, our fight or flight hormone kicks in, then obviously we know that's part of that process too. But I guess it's just the way you phrased it is when a man is angry, when he's feeling like, you know, uh, I guess the way that I would interpret that in my own experience is when I feel like I'm being judged, when I feel like I'm not able to articulate or express a thought like the emotion overrides my my you know my ability to actually communicate or I'm not being understood then I get that that stress response and I didn't ever really make that connection that potentially the reason a woman is being turned off a you mentioned the obviousness like I'm I'm you know it's it's not necessarily a safe space that I'm creating but then also it's like wow I'm 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 potentiating estrogen in my body and maybe chemically that's sending off um you know an unattractive signal <laughs> well said well said that's definitely putting out an unattractive symbol uh, signal and women see this, it's the confusion is that think about women's plight okay they they, they realize they're ready to shift their consciousness expands they're going to go over to their male side and they need something to bring them back to their female mm-hmm. now the truth is there's two things that help women come back well three things but uh, the first two things are to help women come back to their feminine side is hanging out with other women right particularly in a non-work setting. So, you know, when women can get together and they just start talking. <laughs> you know, they find all these things to talk about, you know, and maybe from the male perspective, if you listen in, you might think, oh, they're just a bunch of women complaining about life, but they're also celebrating life. You know, there's two sides of it. And and so they'll, they'll sit together and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll feeling a kind of an empathy for each other. And that then stimulates these female hormones of estrogen and, and oxytocin. A part of the estrogen that goes up just being with other women is resonance. You know, they say that when women are living in the same house, suddenly their periods will all go into harmony and so forth. Uh, and, and there's another side of it where estrogen is dependence and you feel like you can always depend on somebody who thinks like you. Mm-hmm. You can depend upon them to go, yeah, I know, I know, I'm right there with you. So instantly when women are with other women, uh, their estrogen levels are going to go up and their oxytocin levels will go up as well as they, they sort of interact supporting each other. And that's a very feminine tribal thing. That's how women got their estrogen oxytocin for millions of years. That's what they do. Uh, animal kingdom, that's what they do. <laughs> so there's, it's the basic it's female thing to come back to femininity is hang out with a bunch of women and do women things. Okay, that's one so because that's only that's the most familiar when women are on their male side they're coming home but there's no tribe of women there's just this guy there (laughs) so the thought is if i could make him like a woman then suddenly you know we're gonna feel more feminine you know i'm gonna be able to come back to my feminine but that's not what happens when men become more feminine, women become more masculine. See, there's a magnetism between men and women. Opposites attract and opposites repel. So if, if, if I'm a man now and I'm a, we're in a chemistry, we have a sexual chemistry. It's different with all those women. When you're with the women, you don't have the sexual chemistry. It's a different kind of connectedness. With, with a man, you've got, you marry this guy because there's a sexual chemistry and that's, 
you know, the, one of the biological motivations in our modern relationships is people go, well, I really like the guy, but I don't have any sexual chemistry. You know, and the guy could say, she's really beautiful, but I don't have any sexual chemistry. So there's a, the dynamic of sexual chemistry is this really important thing for us today. And part of it is, is again, we're looking for this emotional fulfillment, and you can have more sexual chem- chemistry when there's emotional fulfillment. So having said that, You've got a male and a female who have this magnetic attraction, and so she comes home masculine, actually makes him more feminine, or he comes home, fem- or he's out of work, and he's more feminine, and makes her more masculine, and if she comes home and she wants him, you know, she's got this attitude that goes, oh, you know, I want him to be a girlfriend, so tell me about your day, let's talk about it, let's chat about it, let's complain about it. So as soon as he starts to talk about his feelings and talk about his the female side of him, which may be conscious or may not be conscious, but most of us guys today, your generation for sure, you're very conscious of all the feelings inside, they're going on inside, and she says, well, tell me all the feelings, you start to talk about your feelings, your estrogen levels are going to start increasing. Yeah. Guess what happens in her? When she listens to that, instead of becoming more girl-like, she becomes more masculine. Her uh-huh. testosterone actually comes up. And this is like, was such a clear revelation in my work, is that when you're in the role of listening, just quiet, your testosterone levels will go up. See, that's what I did as a monk. I was just listening all the time to what goes on inside. This whole movement now of... Of mindfulness and being present. What's that about? It's being quiet, you see, because for thousands and millions of years, men have always dealt with stress by becoming quiet. Uh, you'll see them in the Amazon. You see them in India. You know, meditation was taught to quiet the mind. Mm-hmm. Women never did that. It was never taught to women. It wasn't a sexist thing. Women were taught just to love their family and take care of them. That's what their trip to enlightenment was, devotion. Whereas men particularly, there was devotional paths for men too, but primarily it was quiet meditation and you quiet the mind. And and when you do that, if you're a man, it rebuilds your testosterone. When you do it with a woman, it also rebuilds your testosterone, but it's very hard for women to quiet their mind uh, if they haven't already built up their estrogen and oxytocin and lowered their stress. So men quiet their mind in order to lower stress, which is, in simple terms, guys say, I'll just forget it. I don't want to worry about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's no big deal to me. And, of course, you say that to a therapist. They go, oh, you're in denial. You have to talk all about it and share your feelings. And actually what he needs to do at times when he's feeling stress is to quiet the mind and then or do something that will raise his testosterone. That's always the dynamic that will that – will, um, Uh, lower stress for men, is knowing what are the things that you can do that make you feel really good uh, that that have nothing to do with depending on others. Okay, so something you do yourself. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, my my work, you know, I can just do my work, which is so fulfilling. It's a blend of masculine and feminine. But if if I want to just build up my masculine, I meditate. Okay, I just quiet my mind, and you, you do it, and what men have to know that are not master, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a master meditator, I sit for hours and hours, and it's ecstasy for me, but clearly, in the beginning, it wasn't, and it's not in the beginning, you, you know, for the first many years of meditation, you're going to sit there, it's going to be boring as hell, and it takes a lot of willpower to stay doing whatever your meditation practice is, and, you know, the idea is supposed to be bliss for whatever, it's nonsense, 
until you become a master of it. So it's like anything, like my work is, you know, blissful for me because I've mastered my work. I've spent 40 years doing this. It's a channel. It's a, but it was the foundation of that was a meditation technique where you sit there, you do something that's absolutely boring, but you do it. And that's using pure willpower. So you're not depending on some sugar to make you do something. You're depending on your own willpower to do it. So that's really important for meditators and spiritual people to realize is they say, oh, I'm too bored to do it. Now, that's for men. Now, for women, what I suggest is a whole different biological response. Meditation is a quietness to rebuild your testosterone. (sighs) Women do not, generally speaking, have the capacity to shift from being stressed to calming their mind. Their mind actually becomes under moderate stress, not big stress, just moderate stress. Their activity in their brain is eight times greater than a man's. So you're really pushing it, and you're making it very difficult for her. So what, generally speaking, if a woman's going to meditate, she needs a good massage beforehand. She needs to have the day off. Mm. She needs to feel that she's pampering herself, and she's getting a lot of... uh, uh, estrogen stimulating behaviors where she's depending on someone to do something for her and which is what romance is which is what getaways are which is what spas are people are tending to you and doing things for you and and then you feel nurtured you're receiving your oxytocin goes up your estrogen is up then your stress goes down now you can sit and meditate and it's quite a beautiful thing uh, it's now you're going to quiet the mind and be able to rebuild your testosterone levels uh, because women today, the more modern women they are, the more stressed they are doing traditional male things. They need help to get back to the female, and then they can rebuild their masculine. So they're, they're getting a deprivation of female, and they don't have the ability to restore the masculine hormone either. So they also uh, will start running low in testosterone and, and lose their sex drive. Now, what's interesting, and I want to say this for everybody to know, is that you can be low in testosterone, and it doesn't mean you don't have a sex drive. It means you don't have a sex drive to the person you love. The more you have low testosterone, you can't get turned on to the people you love, but you can get turned on to people you don't know or who don't love you. Now, the biology of that is very simple is that when I have sex with my wife, I'm not just having testosterone, which creates desire for sex. I'm also experiencing my love for her, which is oxytocin. I'm also experiencing the fact she's my partner in life, and I depend on her for her love. I'm attached to her. So I get estrogen when I'm around her. So just even thinking of my wife, my estrogen levels are going to go up. My oxytocin levels are going to go up a little bit. My testosterone is going to come down. And this is measurable that when men get married, their testosterone levels drop dramatically. When When they have children, they drop again. So this is, this is natural. It doesn't mean I have low testosterone. It means I just don't have this super high testosterone that a single guy is going to have, which is making us think about sex all the time. I don't think about sex all the time. I, if I see my wife naked, I think about sex for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt. She can't even undress in the same bedroom. As me. <laughs> She's got to go in the closet. We have a big closet, but she'll go in there and dress because she knows that all she has to do is show anything. I'm 64 years old. I'm ready to jump. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing to have healthy testosterone levels as you get older. But she, she's, um, you know, she's she's, six, she's two years older than me. So you know, she's 66 years old and fantastically sexual being for me. Maybe not for other people, but we we have our bond that we've established. I'm bonded to her. But I have healthy testosterone levels. If I didn't have healthy testosterone levels. 
let's say they're a little bit lower, maybe a third of what they should be. Mm-hmm. And then I'm married. Now I love my wife. So now there's more estrogen in my body and, and, and I'm enjoying my time with her. We're spending some wonderful time together. That's oxytocin producing. That's going to push my testosterone levels down even more. What happens now is I can't be interested in sex. But if I look on, if I look online to pornography, here's a woman who's naked who says, I'm ready to have sex with you, which is always a big testosterone booster. And there's no estrogen being produced because I don't care about her and I don't know her and I don't really get any real love from her. It's all fake and it's digital and digital also stimulates more dopamine. So you suddenly now have this dopamine stimulator that stimulates testosterone and you don't have any of the other factors like prolactin and like estrogen and like oxytocin that would keep your testosterone from going too high. Mm. So with this person I don't know, then suddenly my testosterone levels soar temporarily with that person. Generally, once I've been with them, I'm not interested again, which is typically what they say about porn users is they never go back. Pretty much the same thing with most prostitutes. They say that you know, a guy will come to them and not come back. Uh, they want to just keep moving on because if you actually form a relationship with them uh, and you know them, yes. you can't get turned on. And that inability to get turned on is one of the reasons you went to them in the first place because you can't get turned on to love. And this is what's happening to our younger generation today. Uh, many guys just can't sustain sexual interest in their partner after a few years and then they just go on. And because we all want to have sex, we don't have to feel that feeling, but it's because they've been in it, they've been exposed to so much porn. It's just there. It's like a cocaine and literally it affects the same part of the brain as heroin. Yeah. Uh, it's an addiction. And it, it's just as heroin prevents you from being able to enjoy life, uh, the addiction of, of pornography online prevents you from being able to enjoy lasting sexual attraction with your partner. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, so, so much there. Actually, um, gosh, there's two directions I really want to go with you, and I'm hoping that we can weave weave this together in the last 30 minutes we have together. But, um, you know, you're talking about from the male perspective of this elevation of estrogen, which is totally in the in the context that you're sharing, in the context of, of bonding with a woman <laughs> – and the increase in estrogen that comes from actually caring about this person and yes. wanting this person in my life, like, right, that's kind of, that seems like kind of an, um, uh, a natural thing. But as you pointed out in our culture, we have an immediate gratification type of culture. Um, so anyways, you know, as a man, one of the things I wanted to bring up with you is that what I've noticed is there sometimes is this dichotomy that comes up where I'm a man on a mission, you know, like I'm, I am 100% self-centered. I'm centered in my mission. That's my rudder. That's my anchor. That's, that's why I'm on the planet. And I also desire to have, you know, female companionship from time to time and eventually a relationship. And I found that um, it can be a difficult balance and I feel like it may, and just, just, you know, uh, clarify for me, I feel like that, that balance to that elevation of estrogen that you would experience in a relationship can be balanced by being on your mission as a man. 
that is so perfectly expressed. I love what you just said. It's the chapter one of my most recent book called Conscious Men. Mm. Uh, you know, mastering the man code. And it's, you know, it's for men to understand themselves and for women to understand conscious men. These are the guys like you who are clear. I've got a mission and you're in the right track. You need to have your mission as the primary source of fulfillment. That's what you need more than a woman. Mm. What you want is a, you want a woman, but what you need is your mission. And, and for women, particularly what they want is to achieve success in the world but what they need is an intimate relationship. There you get the, the dynamic of difference between men and women. If we look at wanting as testosterone and we look at needing as estrogen, then basically wow. your need, uh, your estrogen, and basically your need is fulfilled through your action, and that's testosterone. So that makes sure that you never become needy. Then when you go into relationship, you strongly want that woman, that sexual desire. So you want to be with her. You want her to respond to you. You want her to be happy with you. And ultimately, you want to make a difference in her life as well. But your need, your primary source of fulfillment is your mission and your purpose. That is the secret. Because if you're like this a guy who's like, uh, you know, I don't really have a job. I don't have really a mission and purpose. I don't have a passion in life. I just want women. You know, I just, yeah. my passion is women. And I want to be with a woman. And I want sex. And, you know, I, that's my passion and fulfillment is being with this woman. And some men are this way. You know, they're really hot and cold. I explain to women, these guys come on super fast. And they're, they do everything for you. They all disappear because yeah. they can't sustain it. And they get really pouty and upset and resentful. They have long lists of complaints before they leave the relationship because they feel like they give and they don't get back. Well, it's because they're looking to the woman as their primary source of fulfillment. You know, for me, my wife can be unhappy and she can, you know, I'd like to describe it to men is that women will go on and on about, you know, like, what was it recently? My wife made a meal for me and... And I was just, uh, you know, watching the news and eating it. And she, she says, well, you didn't even say thank you for the meal. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? And I said, of course, I loved it. You know, but she was like, you know, for a, a temporary moment, you know, rather upset. Now, if I was an unconscious guy or, or a conscious guy who hasn't learned to balance my masculine with my feminine, my feminine would immediately connect with she's disappointed with me. And if I'm needy, then I, why, why are you saying that? You know, I worked really hard today. I do this for you. And you get in these really petty arguments that men get into. Mm -hmm. Women complain about something. Women disapprove of something. Women get a little upset about something. And then men get equally upset back. That's going to happen at, to conscious men. And they have to become aware that that happens more to them because they're more in touch with their female side which is the limbic system part of the brain, which has mirror cells. So if you're unhappy with me, well, then I'm unhappy with you. I was happy before now, but if you're going to be upset with me, then I'll be upset with you, which is if you back up, you go, this is really stupid. If she's upset with you, what can you do to make it better? And what you can do to make it better is don't get upset with her. That's it. So what that means is you've got to tuck your female side away and you elevate it to a place. It takes a while to do this, but you get to this place where you feel compassion. Compassion is the ultimate masculine force. This is in Tibetan Buddhism. I remember in studying that, they always talked about the enlightened Buddha was compassion and the enlightened female Buddha was wisdom. And, and that was a challenging thought for me, but absolutely it's true. Is that my wife now has so much wisdom. 
Uh, and she has these irrational emotional reactions. That's why men think, how can women be sources of wisdom? Bringing you back to when you first talked about the misrepresentation of women in the workplace particularly is because men see women having these reactions, emotional reactions, which are often irrational reactions. They're just temporary. They're fleeting. They leave very quickly. And she just has a strong emotional reaction. And you look biologically in women, you'll see that there's way, way more reaction uh, that goes on under moderate stress. There's eight times more blood flow in a woman's brain to the emotional part of the brain because that then stimulates her to talk about what she's feeling. Mm. And when she talks about what she's feeling, that raises her estrogen up and allows her to receive, if somebody listens to her, allows her to receive oxytocin stimulation that regulates her stress. So communication is a major stress reducer for women. It's not a major stress reducer for men. It actually Mm. increases men's stress if you talk to somebody you're upset with. And you uh, use your emotions to intimidate because that's what men do. You know, it's not like we're just sharing our feelings to share feelings if we're (laughs) upset. It's we we typically want someone to change as a result of us expressing our feelings. And that's using emotions as manipulation. And so when men use emotions to get what they want, they become feminized and it's ugly and it turns women off as well. But in, in a world where competition is so great and most of the purchasers are women, you know, you want to be successful, you need to learn to balance yourself just for financial success, if not for peace of mind for yourself. And of course, the third thing is to have successful relationship. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just wondering, did you read the, my, my most recent book, Conscious Men? I have not read that book. You're going to love it because you, what you just brought up, that's the first chapter. What I do is I go through all these uh, 12 basic qualities of, and I wrote the book with a friend, Arjuna Arda, I want to give him credit, but the, we went through 12 basic qualities of conscious men, which are different from unconscious men. You know, it's like, and, and our challenges are greater because, you know, unconscious men, for example, always had mission and purpose, and it was to earn money to provide for their wives. But your mission and purpose is not just to make a woman happy. It's to make the world a better place. It's to express your inner talents. It's to achieve. It's to accomplish. It's to find your your inner muse, which, by the way, happens when you balance your masculine and feminine. That's the muse. The the male writers, the male created people would always talk about the female muse. That's the female voice that comes forth if he is masculine dominant but also touched into his female uh, you actually look at the the brain of these uh, really genius prodi- prodigies. Uh, you'll see that they're different from your average male brain and that the left anterior parietal lobe, which is typically always bigger on the left side than the right, it's, it's uh, equal size on left and right. For women, it's always bigger on the right and not as big on the left. Mm-hmm. And these are biological realities. And it's not that a woman can't use the left anterior parietal lobe. She uses it. That would be the, the aspect of us, which is, you know, likes race cars and likes the fixed toasters and likes technology, likes science, likes mathematics, you know, those kind of things. It, it, that's just the preference of that side of the brain. It's called impersonal transactions. Anything which is impersonal mm-hmm. is left anterior parietal lobe. Anything which is personal transaction it's, you know, do you like me? Do I like you? What did you eat for dinner? What are you wearing? What should I wear? What's everybody wearing? You know, these kind of, you know, uh, considerations that are personal, that's the right anterior parietal lobe. And one of the differences between men and women is that the right is always bigger than her left. 
And for men, the left is always bigger than his right. And then you've got, you know, male geniuses or male uh, prodigies uh, that really stand out. You look at their brains, and what's unique is the left and the right is exactly the same size. And that means they have both the male and female in balance. But they always have terrible lives, unfortunately. You look at the lives of these greats. They were drug addicts, and they were... um, they commit suicide and they become alcoholics and they take speed and, and, and so you go, well, is that what they have to have? And I go, no, no, they just didn't live in a world that understood their, that when you have a Ferrari for a brain that you need extra, you need better gasoline. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe you need that electric engine. Let's you, talk you, about it, that gasoline. Yeah. Well, the thing is that's the nutrition that we need. So I wrote a whole book on that called staying focused in a hyper world, natural solutions for ADHD, uh, uh, memory and brain performance. Mm. So all the span from children to young adults to old adults to aging people, you get all these mental problems that are so common today. A divorce being one of those, by the way, you know, and another one not wanting to make a commitment in a relationship is another one. But let me just highlight to you that uh, waiting till you're in your early 30s to get married uh, is certainly not a problem with the brain. And actually, it's a good brain that does oh, that. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Thank it you. really it really takes biologically uh, 28 to 29 years to fully develop the prefrontal cortex of the brain, so that you can actually be in a relationship and share who you are, mm. as opposed to need someone else to determine who you are. As long as we're dependent on someone to determine who we are then we're kind of like knocked around by waves. Mm-hmm. You know, the 20s is a time for us to discover who we are and not depend on others. And then finally, by the time we're about 30, we're able to do that. Uh, the brain really doesn't even fully develop uh, in, until that time in order to have self-reflective consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and historically, in Indian times and so forth, if somebody actually developed that part of the brain, they'd be called enlightened. Today, it's so common we don't call it enlightened because it's not in, so superior to everybody else. Uh, but self-reflective awareness, it does not in any way mean enlightenment that you are you have challenges and you have issues and you have problems to overcome. You know, if you, if, if you get to the place where you have no problems to overcome, then you, you float off the planet. Right. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's the reality. Everybody who has challenges, this is like a school or a gym to work out, to grow in our ability to love and to understand and create compassion. And, and nobody gets off till everybody gets off is one way of looking at it. Mm. We're all in this together. Some of us are older brothers. Some are younger. Some are wiser. Some are needing more help. But we're all in this together. And so the, this general development is, is uh, what happens is the kids today are totally different generation than my generation. And my generation was so different from the previous generation in terms of consciousness. That's why we have all these new challenges uh, that we have a greater potential, and now we have to achieve that potential. And so we see all these kids with ADD and, and you know autistic spectrum disorder. These are just brains that are actually uh, developing faster, and they don't have the right nutrition inside of them. And so we've got three things, which you sort of addressed already. We've got environmental toxicity with your GMOs and fertilizers. Fertilizers did it, yeah, not fertilizers, but, but uh, 
Fertilizers are responsible for nutritional deficiency in our food. Once they developed these fertilizers that were just three minerals, they no longer had to compost the soil and create a rich microbiome in the soil, which would then give all the nutrients to the plant that our microbiome needs, that our body needs, that our gut needs, that our brain needs, that our body needs. It's just not there. So the minerals are deficient. The ability to utilize minerals is deficient because there's no fulvic acid in the soil which just basically means the soil is dead soil. Our food comes from dead soil. There's no microorganisms uh, making this fulvic acid, which is what allows our body to have healthy gut. To, to balance the good bacteria and bad bacteria, we have to have this uh, fulvic acid. We have to have all the minerals necessary. We don't have that in our food today. So one is we're starving for food. That's the first. Second is then they use pesticides, fungicides, and then, of course, 10 times worse, is the latest one in the last 20 years is uh, GMO uh, glyphosate's Roundup. Now, this whole wheat thing that everybody's experiencing now, well, that started primarily in 1992 when they started spraying all the wheat with Roundup. After the wheat had grown, they spray it with Roundup to kill it. And so they don't have to uh, scrape it off or get rid of bugs at that point. Everything's dead. The plant is they just kill it. And now they can get twice as much wheat because they kill it as soon as it gets up there. And now the next crop comes comes forth and they get double the crop. This has been insanity. If, if you know, And we were all thinking back in the 90s, oh, it's whole wheat, whole wheat bread. Nothing said organic whole wheat bread. That's because nothing was organic. They were spraying it with the most toxic substance that you can put in your body practically. Uh, that doesn't kill human cells. That's why it's legal. Roundup doesn't kill human cells. But 99% of our cells in the body are not human cells. So, particularly, <laughs> right. you know, this is all the bacteria in our gut and throughout our body. These beneficial bacteria are there, and Roundup kills that. So now we have gut dysbiosis always with autism, with ADHD. And the only reason boys have ADHD more than girls is girls do have more estrogen, and estrogen is a neuroprotector. But they're still being affected by all of this because the nutritional deficiency, as well as some of the, the, the gut problems, prevents them from making enough serotonin. So they have this, you know, this perfectionism, uh, this self-interest, interest, uh, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not good enough. They, they have this huge pressure on them. So they tend to perform better in school, but their happiness level is dramatically lower than it's ever been. And that's what's happening to girls. For boys, their performance, getting things done, following through, organizing themselves, that has dramatically dropped. For males, statistically, this is proven. We get down to the foundation of it is we need to heal the gut. Two things can heal the gut. Overnight, uh, kids will get better benefit by just cutting out the wheats and the things that already like they've already sort of wiped out their gut with that because the gut can't digest the wheat. Uh, and, you know, putting glyphosates removes the bacteria that could digest the wheat for you. So now we've got allergies to wheat. It goes into our body. So for a lot of people, they really need to cut out the bread. Some people absolutely, totally. Some people just rarely. But there's a supplement for that called Restore, R-E-S-T-O-R-E. Mm-hmm. And I have videos on all these things, so I'm not going to give a big talk on each one in a limited amount of time. But people go to MarsVenus.com, and they go to my health food store there. It, instead of it just having products, it has the videos of all the kind of products that I think are the best ones. And you get, you get an expert explaining what these things do for you rather than somebody in a health food store who probably knows a bit, but you know they haven't spent their life dedicated to learning this stuff. And they also so, get a commission. Yeah, and, and so, so here suddenly you've got basically the information. It's a, at the Natural Foods Expo this year, this is this year, 
the number one product of the year because of the research and the benefit is a product called Restore. Mm. So Restore is a form of fulvic acid that you just take a teaspoon of it before you eat a meal and it prevents you from having leaky gut. Mm. Leaky gut is our big problem and leaky blood-brain barrier as well. So toxicity getting into the brain, toxicity leaving your gut into your body, this shouldn't be happening. But as soon as we start introducing glyphosates into our diet, uh, we all have chronic leaky gut. To an extent, almost all of us. You know, some people may get by, by because they haven't eaten too much bread, or they haven't taken antibiotics. Antibiotics also wipe out the good bacteria in the gut. So people have taken antibiotics. It's really important to replenish the gut with probiotics. And now there's a whole range of probiotics. One day it will be a much more developed science already. It's the major medicine of the future. Because every different strain of probiotics has other some certain benefits, and they keep identifying and so forth. Uh, my favorite probiotic is one that you know I talk about. It comes from Switzerland. You can only make it at home, but you get the mix. So we have the mix for it that I import from Switzerland. It's called Bravo Probiotic Yogurt, and it's forty-two strains of of, of probiotics that uh, makes a yogurt, and you eat the yogurt, and it helps to rebuild it in your gut to restore what's called the microbiome. So those are my two favorite gut products is Restore and that, and that will help the brain work so much better. Now, for symptomatic relief right away with these kids with ADHD, I talk about in my book that Ritalin and Adderall actually make the problem worse over time. Right away, you might get 80% get some benefit, just like a drug addict who writes better when they take Ritalin, when they take Speed or Ritalin. There's no difference. They're all amphetamines which cause brain injury, and parents aren't told this. That's why I had to write the book and show the real research, 70 pages of references showing how dangerous these things are. Uh, so don't take the bad stuff, but guess what? Just There's all this research showing that there's good stuff with no side effects that works just as good as Ritalin and Adderall, and even better because there's a long-term development and healing. So some quick ones is grapeseed extract, vitamin C, mm -hmm. combining those two things together helps to increase focus. Uh, lithium orotate with its cofactors, magnesium, potassium, zinc, and uh, calcium orotate, uh, its cofactors all bonded to mother's milk, that's what the orotate is, uh, will help to calm the brain, doesn't suppress it. But that's called Super Minerals, and that's a product I formulated, been promoting 15 years. Gets immediate results with anybody who has fast thinking or anxious thinking or your mind is looping on something. It's simply the minerals are not getting into the brain. And I didn't invent this. Dr. Hans Nieper in Germany did it. Uh, he developed it. He said, look, we measure the minerals. We're eating minerals. Already we're getting deficient amounts, but when you take supplements, they don't get into the brain. So mother's milk has a substance that brings it into the brain. If the minerals were actually in our food and there was fulvic acid in the food, it would get into the brain, but it doesn't. But when you bond it to mother's milk, it does. So the super minerals are like amazing. Lithium orotate is probably the most amazing mineral of all because the medical profession has got everybody scared uh, from taking it. Uh, and that's because the psychiatrists give a toxic dose of lithium carbonate, different from lithium orotate. They give a toxic dose of lithium carbonate for bipolar brains. Now, remember, bipolar brains are just Ferrari brains. They're all geniuses. Their brain looks just like a genius's, but they have gut dysbiosis. They have gut problems, and they have what's called leaky blood-brain barrier, so they got heavy metal toxicity in their brain, which throws off this genius ability. And so they become bipolar, they become very unstable, and lithium stabilizes it. But lithium carbonate, you have to give it about 100 times the dose the brain needs to get it into the brain. 
low-dose lithium orotate, just 4.5 milligrams to 25 milligrams a day for the super geniuses, uh, is enough to keep the brain just clear and calm and so forth. But you should also take your super minerals or your lithium orotate, if you take it straight, just a little extra, uh, you, you always have to have the cofactors, but sometimes you need a little bit more lithium orotate in big stressful times. You need to also take iodine supplements. Mm-hmm. Iodine supplements are very important uh, because what lithium does is it helps distribute another function that it does, helps distribute iodine throughout the body. And if you're low in iodine, you might, have, you might feel a little tiredness. So sometimes I get people writing to me. I felt tired after all my depression went away, but then my energy kind of dropped after a month of using this product. And I said, you just need to take some iodine. And they write back and say, how did you know? <laughs> I feel so much better now because I've been doing this 15 years. So you got to like balance certain things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omega-3s, by the way, have, have proven to be more effective than, um, than Ritalin and Adderall for certain groups of children. But some of the children get no effect. And then they find that if you add L-carnitine with it, those children then get effect. L-carnitine is something that if you had a healthy gut, your body would make it. And L-carnitine is what transports the omega-3 into the cell and utilizes it for energy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so you take by, so I, what I do is I just recommend I'll take all these things. There's not that much to take. Grapeseed extract, vitamin C, omega-3, everybody should be doing these things just for optimal brain function. If it doesn't do it, then our L-carnitine and the super minerals, any kid, and I've done thousands of people with this, uh, who say it's it transformed their home life. Their children are behaving better, working better, studying better, less addictive tendencies to videos and sugar and all that. It's just we need this extra help. We're living in a world of hyperstimulation and hormonal imbalance because we've got antibiotics that have wiped out our guts. We've got chlorinated water that wipes out our guts. We've got, and you know, take a moment on that, which is, Chlorine kills bacteria. That's what it does. It keeps the bad bacteria out of our water, but also kills the good bacteria. And when it goes into your stomach, it kills all the bad bacteria, but also kills good bacteria. It's like an antibiotic. So, so again, all these people are drinking chlorinated water. Then they're, or they're drinking water in plastic bottles. The, the PCBs in plastic bottles have now proven to be endocrine disruptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and places where there's a lot of plastic in the water, uh, the boys, and this is very common in America and Northern, they're hitting puberty two years late. And, and one te- only one testicle drops. They have to do a medical procedure to get the other one to drop. And I mean, literally, they, they have no balls, and the, or at least half. And the girls are hitting puberty twice two years earlier because they're starting to get their breasts and their hips and their period earlier than before. And that's all this xenoestrogens. Uh, in the environment and plastics in the environment are doing this. So we want to make sure that we have glass bottles or metal bottles, steel bottles or glass bottles, and we want to have a water purifier, and we drink from that. Try to avoid the plastics as much as you can and certainly avoid the chlorinated water. Those are like really key things for brain function and for health in the body. Mm, Yeah, thank you so much for that perspective. And um, that's a huge area that I really drive in and all my lectures, my writing and just whatever I do in the world in this field in nutrition, I have to drive that in so deep and we could keep pushing the button. We could really sit here and do this all day. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we it's do. true. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this, I mean, these conversations, John, really just inspire me so much more because I'm getting... I'm getting a a circumference of perspective from people like you that have been leading your field for so long 
Um, it's really inspiring for me and I know all the people listening and in the audience that listens to this, by the way, is a very eclectic group of people that you're ranging from people that are like been all through the raw food and superfood and herbal movement to people in the, the relationship worlds to entrepreneurs to, you know, to your, your mom's, your, 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 uh, your house mom, I guess you could say like, you know, raising her children at home. So yeah, I think this is going to be just really amazing for people to get so much more depth on the, the polarities and dynamics of what makes us men and women. So thank you. Well said, well said. And, and you know, I, if we have a couple more minutes, I'd like to mention one more thing. Yes. Do we have a little bit more time? Yeah, we have a couple more Okay, minutes. so... Yeah, just uh, in terms of exercise, and, you know, all kinds of exercise are good exercise, but a lot of people don't have a lot of time for exercise, and uh, I'm very busy, and uh, so I used to do gym, and I used to do workouts, and I used to do aerobics, and I used to uh, do lots of exercise, and, you know, when you're writing books and traveling all the time, you just don't have the time to do it. I don't have the time to do it, so I really look for the most time-efficient exercise, and I'm going to tell it to you right now. The Japanese sort of were doing it. I, I figured out for myself on my own, but they also figured it out, but I feel like I add a different dimension to it that nobody's figured out yet, so I want to share this because people get results right away, and it's called burst exercise. That's what the Japanese call it. Interval training is what we call it in America, uh-huh. and it's where you do high intensity for 10 to 20 seconds and then you kind of you know walk a little bit or pause for for a little you know 20 seconds or something and then go back into it and what i found is it's not so much about just pausing for 20 seconds 30 seconds what you want to do in exercise is just communicate everything in this world everything in the body is about signals and communication if your brain gets the message that those muscles need more oxygen, then your brain will supply it. It's like uh, it's like the universe provides, but you've got to communicate effectively. And so what you do is you run for 10, 20 seconds. I just walk out my driveway, walk down about 30 yards. I'm on a hill and then run up as fast as I can. OK, it takes about 10 seconds. There's a chair. I just sit down and you sit down for four minutes. OK, and that's important. What happens in, for the first 90 seconds is you tend to be out of breath like this. <sighs> your exhale is way bigger than your inhale. Now, that, that is basically describing what's called hypoxia. Hypoxia means your cells are not getting enough oxygen. You're still in the aerobic zone. You're not in the anaerobic zone. If you just keep running after 10 seconds, you're going to go into anaerobic zone, which is saying, I don't need oxygen. I can just ferment sugar for my energy. So you want to stay in the aerobic zone, but push it to the max. And that happens in just 10 seconds of full out. So you do 10 seconds or 20 seconds if it's level ground. But for me, I do it on a hill. So 10 seconds, I'm just, my muscles, everything is just pushed to the max. Then I just rest. And when you rest, the first thing most people would do, and this is what all the other interval trainings don't say, or the Japanese burst training doesn't say, is they don't tell people, and it's the most important thing, is don't catch your breath. That's what people will tend to do. They'll be out of breath, and then they'll take a deep breath. Hold it for a moment. (coughs) And then exhale. And now they're not out of breath. The whole point is to get out of breath. That communicates from the muscle to the brain back that the cell needs more oxygen. Mm -hmm. In order to get more oxygen, 
you need two things. You need more capillaries, one, which is what training does. That's why training works. You're telling your body you need more capillaries. But even more so, you're telling your brain that you need more mitochondria, the energy factories in your muscles, so your body's more efficient and utilizing the oxygen which is available to burn fat as a source of energy. Now, when you run like that, you're fully in sympathetic mode, that stress mode. If you let yourself be out of breath for 90 seconds, your breath will bring you back to your parasympathetic mode. Around that time, your breath has settled a bit. It's still out of breath, but it's at a point where you can now do it through your nose. So now you close your mouth. You feel like you have to try to get enough oxygen because you get less air in your nose. So you'll be out of breath again a little bit more. Just takes a moment. You kind of go, don't take a deep breath in, but stay out of breath for another two and a half minutes. That two and a half minutes is called parasympathetic mode, where now your body can actually heal itself, regenerate itself, correct itself. It's called the repair mode. Mm -hmm. So you want that last you know, uh, two and a half minutes. Now, not everybody will ha find two and a half minutes. Their mind will be wandering and they'll be thinking and whatever. That will slow it down. They'll be back in the sympathetic mode. So maybe they can only stay for three minutes total. But eventually, after a few more repetitions, you can pretty much get to four minutes quite easily. Where you push yourself so that you'll be out of breath for four minutes is the whole key. Now, during that time, it's every, right from the beginning, when you're, when you're out of breath, that's called hypoxia. That's where your cells are not getting enough oxygen. And that is proven to be one of the major sources of stimulating amazing reaction in your body, which, which some, some, some of these places call the afterburn. Well, if you look at what is the afterburn that keeps burning fat all day long, the afterburn is the production of something called heat shock proteins. Heat shock proteins are out of this world fantastic. They are what regenerates brain cells. When I had Parkinson's 15 years ago, that is the degeneration of the dopamine receptors in a certain part of the brain. I regenerated all of those parts of my brain, and it's the heat shock proteins that do it. Now, I got to those heat shock proteins by using hot water therapy, which regenerates where I reverse autism in kids, ADHD in kids, by regenerating those brain cells, upregulating brain cells and regenerating, restoring them. It, that these heat shock proteins will do that. They are your body's last line of defense. So let's say you have a viral infection, and your glutathione levels are not high enough to fight it off. Glutathione, the super antioxidant that your body makes that everybody loses as they get older, but it's the super, it's the fountain of immortality, basically, youthfulness, glutathione. So glutathione, if you're making it, will protect your brain from degeneration. But if you have viral infections, glutathione is used up to reduce the oxidative stress of the viral infection. Then if your body says, oh, my God, I'm going to die because I don't have enough glutathione, then your body will kick into gear and create a fever. Fever is your body's last defense against bacteria and viral infections, and it's producing these heat shock proteins, which will stop bacterial infection, which will stop viral infections. It's amazing, and it regenerates the da damage that was done. This is what's so. This is your, your secret uh, remedy for everything. Is the heat shock proteins, which is now being researched. There's like 15 of them. You know, there's HSP uh, 10 and 20 and 30. <laughs> Soon it'll be like B vitamins. What produces this heat shock protein? What produces that one? But basically, this running technique, you repeat it five or six times. You do it six times. It only takes 20 minutes. Only have to do it twice a week. Uh, the heat shock proteins will last for 48 hours after you make them. 
And, and so, you know, you just do it every few days and you don't have to do all this exercise and you can feel your body burning a little bit throughout the day. If you want to increase that burn, uh, take some niacin before about 10 minutes before your run and that will certainly increase your heat shock proteins. And the third thing, if you're uh, wanting to burn fat really efficiently and regenerate your body and brain and help your body be healthy, even to reduce tumors and so forth, which is what heat shock proteins do as well and stop metastases. Basically, any infection you've got, heat shock proteins is your body's best defense. This exercise helps you with that. Also, there's a, a, a supplement I want most people to know about they don't know about, and it's called Thunder God Root uh, Extract 20 to 1. Thunder God Root is a uh, Chinese herb which is the, the miracle herb of the century with so many people getting cancer and so many people with obesity. It's the Chinese herb for obesity because what does it do? What do heat shock proteins do? They burn fat. They call it lipolysis. Your body heats up. And then uh, after you've done your run, if you really want to get that belly fat off, then lie down under a blanket for 20 minutes and put an ice pack on your belly. Ice pack. Ice really cold ice, you know, they have these gel packs. Ice will also produce heat shock proteins, which stimulate fat burning and, and, and um, uh, lipolysis, the fat burning of fat. So this is like great stuff for people to know. Uh, it's my most recent blog I just wrote on that one. But this is, uh, if you go to marsvenus.com, Thunder God Root, and you want to lose weight, it's my latest on how to lose weight very quickly for those of you that are getting older. Thank you for that perspective and that that breakdown. I really appreciate that. And I was about to, yeah, I was going to ask, um, how can everybody tune into your work? Obviously, your 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 books and especially your original book are pretty much legendary. But you know, um, is that the best website for people to tune into your all your work? Well, you know, you mentioned that you're thirty years old. And I say the best thing you'll find at my website, it's marsvenus.com. Every day I have an hour uh, video show that I do. Uh, you know, I recorded about 300 of them, and now we just rotate them. Because the ideas are timeless when it comes to relationship. Then what you'll see there is weekly new blogs as well by my daughter, Lauren, who's your age. And she is so tuned in to the new challenges that younger people are facing, uh, even more so than I am because it's what she lives every day, and that's who she coaches every day. And and she's very entertaining. So as a guy, I suggest you check out her blogs called Winning Moves. That's where she's describing her partner and some of the things he does. I read those sections and then go and do it with my wife. <laughs> he has really good he, – he's my uh, videographer, and so when I'm doing my videos, I'm often just sort of giving him the ideas so he'll be the best partner for my daughter. They've been together five years. Mm. So really happy about – so she's really good. I suggest checking her out as well as my blogs. And then the cool thing for the nutrition side of it is if you go to my health food store or my health blogs, uh, I really talk about every health condition uh, from the point of view of how we create it, how our environment's creating it, how our thoughts are creating it, and what nutritional supplements that are traditional, uh, that are sometimes new as well that are all natural without side effects. That's the key is take, take medicine, which is natural and no side effects, as opposed to these uh, toxic things that have side effects. I, don't, I just I stay away from that. And that's all available. There's a health food store there. You can see a lot of the products I recommend and a 10-minute video on each one explaining why it might be helpful for, for some people. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And... 
Oh, it was just a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you again. And, you know, you, you pause for a moment, but I just mentioned, I mentioned before my book, Conscious Men, that's the most recent one, Mastering the Man Code. And then there's the one before that is Staying Focused in a Hyper World. Uh, and, of course, the classic is Minute from Mars, which is still valuable for anybody who gets into a relationship. A lot of the ideas in that book, almost 30 years later, have become cliché. Uh, but actually, you get to the subtleties of all those ideas as well. Men go to their caves. Men try to fix things. Little things make a difference. How to create lasting love, romance. Uh, men are like rubber bands. Women are like waves. These kind of basic metaphors that have become part of our lexicon, you really get it fully explained in that book. It, it's quite quite fun to read. Mm, beautiful. Oh, okay, well... Everyone out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And this was one of our extended interviews and for obvious reason, because this man is clearly a wealth of knowledge and just so much incredible insight. I'm going to be listening to this over and over, and I highly recommend that all of you do too. Once again, John Gray, thank you so much for joining us and everybody out there. Much aloha, and we will check in with you next time.